0: Back in listeners to another fantastic episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a great, great guest joining us today. Um, We have director David Stoller from Gingold Theatrical Group, who is presenting Canada at Theatre Row now through November 19th, uh, which is a fantastic episode. Uh, Shaw play, I loved seeing it, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, so we were so honored to have him. David, welcome to our show today.
1: Thank you, Andrew. It's delightful to meet you in person. Uh, I'm so pleased you came to the play and enjoyed it. I uh, we like to support the new up and coming playwrights like George Bernard Shaw. I'll make sure that he knows that you appreciated his work. You're so encouraged.
0: <laughs> yes, it was. It was a wonderful show. So please pass my praises on to him. Um, it it was, it was, it was witty and it was, it was that perfect, uh, that perfect dry wit, like sweet tooth kind of thing where, you know, you, you, you weren't raucously rolling on the floor laughing, but it was that delight. It was just that nice delight right after a good meal. I just enjoyed it. I loved the, the, the word play. I loved I love the marital humor that existed in it. It was just so well played. Um, and for our listeners who might not be as familiar with with Sean, with this work, would you mind telling them a bit about the
1: show? You bet. Uh, well, I'll tell you that we we founded Gingle Theatrical Group. This is our 17th year. We're just about to dive into our 18th. Uh, we, we created this company as a response to sociopolitical events of the time. Uh, journalists were being fired for speaking out against the Bush administration. Now seems like the good old days. Uh, And we, I'd been raised to believe in the power of art as activism, especially theater as activism. I was introduced to the humanitarian activist precepts of George Bernard Shaw when I was 10 by my godmother, the actress Hermione Gingold. Uh, She had in corresponding with me i was going to school abroad and she was already here living in new york and we were corresponding and she finally wrote me this very pithy letter darling if you expect me to respond to these letters you've got to start asking more interesting questions read this and it was a copy <laughs> of Dog, man and superman so i read i started plowing through man and superman which is an extremely accessible entertaining comedy and She helped me figure out what I should be asking myself so that I could be coming up with answers about life, about my place in the world. And that was really Shaw's greatest gift. He was this poor, uneducated, unwanted, strange little child in Dublin His father was an abusive alcoholic who pulled him out of school at a very young age and sent him to work. His mother never wanted to have kids. She had already had two daughters before him, and she made it clear she was not interested in being a mother or a wife, and she left. Uh, He finally, when he was 19, left for London to educate himself and try to figure out how he could best be a contributive part of the world. He uh, he had a speech impediment and he had bad skin and he was skinny and he didn't know anybody and he had no money. And he through his own realization that like his character, Eliza Doolittle in Pygmalion, he knew there was a spark. He knew there was something inside that was worthwhile. And he was determined to figure out what that was. And since he had no mentor, he also decided to become his own Henry Higgins to teach himself, and he did, and questioned everything, read everything, cross-referenced, and eventually began meeting people socially in the arts world, and he became a music critic and a literary critic and a theater critic, and he became very well-known. He kind of reinvented the whole art of arts criticism, not by offering an opinion, but I know it seems outrageous, but as a critic, he decided his job was to assess the artist's intent and then assess the artist's success at achieving that intent. Not three or four stars, not I didn't like it or I liked it. The critic as a collaborator with the idea that the artist is going to continue to create how and they help each other. And he saw getting to the play Candida. He became a playwright because he saw Ibsen's A Doll's House. He said, oh my God, this is incredible. This is about modern contemporary life and people. It's not Victorian melodrama. It's about people behaving in the real world and a woman struggling to identify her place in it. And Shahar had already been a politician. He'd been campaigning tirelessly for women's rights, but also men's rights, gay rights, children's rights, animal rights. He believed so strongly that we were all disenfranchised and we deserved to be, to be living the life that we wanted. So he started in his reviews telling the playwrights of the time why aren't you writing like Ibsen? Why don't we have an English Ibsen? And everyone just laughed at him. So he finally said, fine, you can all go screw yourself. I'll try. And he did. And his fifth play, Candida, was a direct response to a doll's house. Because as most people know, at the end of Doll's House, Nora basically says, okay, the world is not set up for women. I'm leaving. I'm leaving my husband. I'm leaving my little kids. I'm walking out and slamming the door around the world. So Shaw. Thought that was great, but where the hell is she going to go? What are her options? What she's not trained to do anything. She has no skills. Is she going to become a prostitute? So he wrote this wonderfully short comedic play called Canada with all the same characters that are in a doll's house, but subverting them, taking all of the Victorian theatrical conventions of the time and turning everything on its head, so that instead of Nora leaving, this character candida basically stays and says i'm not leaving if anybody's leaving you are so he has her staying and negotiate her terms and so this this is at the heart of this play candida candida is a name but the root word comes from the latin for can like candid candle candor the idea of light enlightenment clarity The idea that the six characters in this play are pulled together in one momentous day to realize that that's what they need. They've been hiding from themselves. They've been shutting themselves off from their own life, from truly connecting. And because of the six of them all coming together on one day, they all realize they've got to figure things out. How's that for a... Long-winded assessment, to answer your question.
0: That is perfect. And getting the backstory of Shaw in there really just reaffirms everything from the play as well. I mean, totally. I don't know why, but it left my mind that this was in response to A Doll's House. So literally, like, putting this play on top of A Doll's House, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, is totally almost like one in the same and I was like this is incredible I I wish I could watch them on like side-by-side <laughs> screens in that way because it, it's it's not as dramatic I mean obviously it's not as dramatic of, uh, 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 of a of a version of a doll's house it's much more of a, a farcical one but it's not slapstick farce
1: um well, show, show wrote 65 plays which first of all, most people have no idea who Shaw was like the whole backstory I just gave you. People assume he was like Oscar Wilde this rich white entitled patriarchal. You can all go screw yourself mentality, but no, he struggled and he struggled for us, but he wrote all of his plays as comedies, even St. Joan before they liked the match is an extremely funny and entertaining play. Something else about this play. Um, that I've learned through my own observations, but also through people much smarter than myself, is that it actually became a template for what we now know as the sitcom, the romantic. Yes, play. yes, absolutely. It never existed before. Nothing like Canada had ever existed. The actors who were originally hired were totally mystified. They were expecting to play a Victorian play with the Victorian acting styles, and this was about people talking. And being funny and like a farce, as you say, running in and out, people coming and going quickly.
0: I'm thinking of that like the scene where they literally are all in the room right before everyone kind of leaves, except for um Canada, her husband, and then the the character that, that, that they kind of like rescue.
1: March Banks character. Uh
0: yes, yes. But but they're all in the room, and you've got the misinterpreted things and it's the 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 misinterpreted, oh, but you th- I thought you liked and you felt, oh, you know, and I'm just like yeah. Yeah, this is a sitcom. This is right here where where, the game of telephone totally took over this and we're all just having a good time. And then it's like, okay, good night, good night, good night, good night. And then we're left here. We're like, well, we have to finish this now. Tune in next week to, you know, it's It's
1: it's very clever of you because it's true. The entire play ultimately feels like the preface for the play that is to come. So that Shaw was... Very clever at being so rascally and annoying, like at the end of Pygmalion, do Eliza and Higgins get together? At the end of almost all of his plays, he doesn't tie them up tidily. He wants you to walk out talking about it. So at the end of the play, it ends certainly the way i stage it. It ends in a way that I think is satisfying for the audience. But you're wondering, what are these characters going to do? what do they do when they wake up tomorrow how has their life changed so each one of them gets a spin-off series it'll be on apple tv <laughs> uh, or hbo you'll be able to get the uh, screeners at the end of the year uh each character deserves a spin-off and yeah. part of the fun for me was examining the play and looking at these characters in a way that perhaps was new but i had a lot of help over the years uh, I was introduced to Stephen Sondheim by Hermione Gingold when I was 15, by post. We started corresponding. She was beginning A Little Night Music, and my link with Hermione had always been Shaw. Well, she was sitting, hanging out with Steve, and he was saying, yes, everything I've ever written, he said, was inspired by Shaw. He said, oh, you must meet my darling David we started corresponding and the play we most often examined was Candida. Why? He said, well, because it is so short, for one thing, it is very funny or supposed to be. But there are so many unanswered questions, which was perfect for someone writing songs, because it offered the opportunity to examine what had not been examined. And then he realized it really doesn't need it ultimately. And the two of us went to see a musical version of it that was done some years ago with Lincoln Center, which was very turgid, very melodramatic, much more playing into Ibsen's original Doll's House, which quite frankly is not what Shaw intended. He wanted it to be a more lighthearted, enlightening comedy that gives hope, not despair. But uh, Steve and I, did a couple of readings of the play in his sitting room with various people, various backgrounds, various accents. We started playing with the idea: well, if it doesn't take place in England, as Shaw wrote it, in the 1890s, what would be a parallel? And the best option we could come up with, there was paralleling that particular time, and the church, since Candida's husband is what's referred to as a socialist minister, which means he's shaking things up. He's encouraging people to question everything, which was why the play could not get a license to be performed in England for years. There was no separation of church and state. The government was run by the Church of England, and you're not supposed to question it. You're not supposed to tell people to question the church. You're supposed to follow it blindly. So the Lord Chamberlain said, No, you can't put this play on in England. Forget about it. Also, there's a woman considering leaving him. There's no divorce. No. Mm-hmm. So the idea of setting it in the 20s in New York, we started doing a lot of research. And in the 1890s, people were having a good time. It was before World War I, it was the Gilded Age, it was the waltz, it was cafes and nightclubs and people stopped going to the church on sunday morning so the church stopped getting collections and they were major pissed off need to get more money so they started repositioning these rock star ministers to these areas mostly underserved areas to get the people to come back and it worked well the same thing was happening in new york during the jazz age the roaring 20s people started going out and dancing and drinking hooch it was after World War One, when an entire generation had been decimated, and people said, we're all going to die. Let's have a good time. <laughs> so they stopped going to church. So they did the same thing. So it's one of the reasons why I cast the play as youthful and, and energized as I did. And uh, the idea of changing it, New York, I, I didn't rewrite anything. This is absolutely the play Shaw wrote. We just changed some of the location references, you know, that was it.
0: What is the message or the thought that you're hoping that the audience will take away from this? What an excellent
1: question. Uh, The the idea of all of Shaw's plays is to give us the gift of giving ourselves permission to question, to question everything, to reassess who we are, who we want to be, to make sure that we feel empowered by our own needs and wants and beliefs that, that it's um, up to us not to be influenced by our parents, our peers, our society. It's what all of his plays really deal with. And it's, it's such a gift. He does it in a humorous way so that he, um, He's reminding us how short life is and how fast it all goes. And that we have this opportunity to live our life as fully and richly as we possibly can. And that as with these six characters in Canada, they've lost their way. They've gotten they've gotten caught in the weeds uh, of day-to-day existence. That um, that they needed to be reminded to live the life they want to live.
0: You know, one thing that I found interesting, and, and I just this thought came to me that as you mentioned about parents, and I'm thinking about Shaw and his parents in particular. This show how much um, the Reverend, the 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 lead, puts up with his father-in-law. You know, the Canada's father to me is so horrible. To, to the Reverend to to Canada's husband and for there to be so much respect between them and you and and now knowing what Shaw's upbringing was and his relationship to his parents for him still to write in the idea of but it's still family and you have to respect that and you have to you know that I because I I was sitting there and I was like I how are you how are you putting up with the This guy doesn't want his daughter to be with you. He's trying to find every way to get to break your marriage apart. And yet you still welcome him like he's like he is your father. Why would you do that? And now knowing what Shaw's gone through, I'm like, what an incredible way to overcome that. How amazing is that?
1: Well, see, I I find all art to be like a shock test. Everybody sees it or takes it in or hears it in a different way. The, the father in law, Candida's father, had had a major argument with Morel, the minister, a few years before, and left and hasn't been around. The reason he's come back is because that morning he'd seen in the newspaper that Morel was becoming very famous. He read in the newspaper that he's meeting all these very important, influential people. Mm-hmm. So he brings the newspaper and shows up and says, "Come on, let's make it up. There's no reason for us not to be friends anymore." And Morell challenges him and calls him on it until, until he realizes that's the deal. So, I think, I mean, for me, for my interpretation as a director, it's not that family is important because Shaw like believed, like most people in theater, you make your own family. Yes. Period. And Shaw felt no particular obligation to his birth family at all. But it was important to me as a director to make sure that each of the six characters had a journey. And that that father-in-law, Burgess, did indeed have a journey. He came in a purely mercenary way just to make business contacts and realizes in the course of the day how lonely he's been, how much he misses his daughter, his family, that... Like all the others, he had cut himself off from his emotional life by becoming this extremely driven industrialist millionaire willing to step on anybody's face to get what he wanted. And by the end of the play, he, he rediscovers his heart. And um, this is what I look for in all the plays I work on, no matter Shaw or anybody. The Curate. For example, there's a young man who's a minister in training, and it's always played sort of like a nondescript, average young man just showing up for work. And I came into rehearsal one day to discuss the part with the actor, Peter, and saying, just why are you there? We began examining. What if you came from a wealthy family and you had been screwing around and going through your allowance? And they finally said, okay, that's it. We are not financing your life anymore. We're putting you into the church, like it or not. And he doesn't like it. So I came into rehearsal one day and handed him a book, the Bible. And he said, okay. And he opened it, and it was a box. And inside the box were sunglasses and a pack of cigarettes. I said, just imagine that you walk in, your first entrance, hungover. You've been out all night at the nightclub. You don't really want to be there. You... Throw yourself down in the chair. We find out before you get there that you're late. You're always late. And try to light up. And the secretary, Proserpine, Prosy, grabs it out of your hand. So part of his journey is realizing that he's allowed his life to be dictated, that he hasn't felt a purpose or a focus. And in the course of the play, he finds it. Huh. He may stay in the church, but he realizes it's up to him to examine it. To, to look at it, to find his purpose in life. And that's what all six characters do. And that's basically the same with all of Shaw's plays. That's his gift. That's to get back <laughs> to the original question, why did Shaw write this play? That was the point. And the play was first performed here in New York and it was so popular. And uh, it was so popular, in fact, that people were obsessed with asking, well, what happens after the curtain comes down? As if these are real people. It's fiction. So he wrote this very silly little, very short parody called How He Lied to Her Husband, just making fun of all the characters. And the play continued to influence people greatly over the years, including um, I met the playwright Robert Anderson, who wrote Tea and Sympathy. And talking about teen sympathy he told me uh that he had written the play as a direct response to *Canada*. in fact in the play as a young man and an older woman as it is in *Canada*, and in teen sympathy he actually has the young man reading the play *Canada* and talking to the woman about it uh it's it's fascinating to me how far-reaching shaw's insight and artistry and humor Uh, has infiltrated the arts in so many ways that people are not aware of. But uh, I think it was the same with many truly brilliant, insightful people, like Sondheim, like Hal Prince. There's nothing nothing on stage in New York today, or perhaps in the last 20 or more years, that do not owe a conceptual debt to Hal Prince. When I met uh, Tom Stopper, he said, there's nothing he's written. That not directly influenced by shaw same thing with uh, almost every <laughs> great playwright today even wonderful composers who read um, shaw's published music criticism and feel influenced by it the idea of creating new work was always shaw's intent too he would have hated being referred to as a classicist which is one of the reasons why we develop new work Writers in their own voice—not to write like Shaw, not to write about Shaw, not to write adaptations of Shaw—but for writers in their own voice, but from some prompt from a specific Shaw play that sparks an idea.
0: I want to build on that idea because I want to ask. You've mentioned a lot of 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 you know modern, uh, or I should say, recent artists. Um, and, and you've started tying into the modern artists or audience, excuse me. And I want to ask, who do you hope have access to the show?
1: Anyone who wants to come. Uh, I mean, we partner with lots of schools and we've had nine different school groups coming in and we've had them oh, studying. So. I've gone to the schools. We have discussions afterwards, mm-hmm. continuing these discussions after the show closes. We've also filmed it. We're going to be streaming it next year. Uh, hopefully February or March, so people can see it online. Uh, Because of union regulations, it's only for a very short time and for a very small number of people that can actually buy the tickets. It's not like renting a movie. Uh, Actors' Equity Association is very specific about how many people get to buy a ticket and how many days we can show it. It's only seven. But I'm really excited to have the opportunity to allow people around the world to see it. During the pandemic, we began these readings, uh, play readings as benefits for the Actors Fund. And uh, it was so exciting to start hearing from people in India where Shaw has always been popular. Uh, Gandhi made no secret of the fact that he was greatly influenced by Shaw as was Martin Luther King Jr., the idea of um, that from the Fabian Society that Shaw was a part of, the idea of avoid violent conflict by reason. Japan, Australia, Shanghai, England, Ireland, France, Brazil. i We've been hearing from people in Rio de Janeiro, Mexico City. its It's been fascinating. Of course, people from all across this country. So I'm looking forward to sharing it with them as well, because not everybody can get to New York for seven weeks to see The Run. And even people who are here in New York, there are a lot of people who are still very worried about going into theaters.
0: Well, shifting the conversation a little bit more onto you now, um, I wanna ask what shows um composers or playwrights in the past um have inspired you or do you love? Uh obviously All Shaw. Of
1: <laughs> All of them, but I, I like to go see everything. I'm so thrilled to see Stop Arts, Leopold Stock. Just such a brilliant writer. Um uh, but I, I, I like to see everything. There's good in everything. Mm-hmm. Every time I go to the theater, just sitting in a room, sharing an artistic vision has to enrich who we are, who I am. There are so many wonderfully talented artists and there's simply not enough opportunities. I love going to the Metropolitan Museum, but I also love going to the Whitney and the modern museum of art. I go to the symphonies and the ballets. I like to see street theater. I love to see theater in basements, Uh, whether it be Shakespeare or new plays that were written an hour ago as part of a gimmicky, sort of come to the theater and let's see what we can put together. It's just thrilling to me what the human brain is capable of. And here we are getting together, trying to communicate with each other. Why, what's the need? What sort of primal, What sort of primal need is it in us that makes us want to be a part of it? Even if you're just sitting home alone on the sofa watching television or surfing the web on your computer or your phone, it's still about connecting. It's still about what is the rest of the world doing? Am I a part of it? Do I want to be a part of it or not? It's thrilling to me.
0: Now, you mentioned, uh, you've started answering my next question, but... Uh have you seen any great theater lately that you might recommend to our listeners? You had mentioned mentioned uh Stoppard's Leopoldstadt, which I'm right there with you. It's brilliant work. Um, but have you seen anything else that you might be able to mention?
1: Yeah, I um I I really enjoyed seeing the um the current reinvention of Into the Woods. Yes. Uh, I I found that particularly thrilling. I saw it three times at city center and then subsequently i've been to i've not seen anything in the last couple months mostly because i'm at the theater every night wearing my producers hat but um i'm very much looking to see life of Pi. that's coming over from england uh, kimberly akimbo is a fascinating play i am very much looking forward to seeing the play pictures from home i play danny my uh pal danny Burstein is going to be in it with Nathan Lane and um, Zoe Wanamaker, uh, Friends in a Strange Loop I've seen several times. I thought the revival that Take Me Out was so powerful and potent. Um, Gay Burn and Walking with Ghosts. Um, those are mostly Broadway plays, but uh, all the off-Broadway companies uh, tend to be far more adventurous and so much good going on really everywhere all my friends at keen and tectonic and the irish rep and um everybody's everybody's doing work worth seeing whether you like it or not ultimately Mm -hmm. is beside the point for me uh it's the idea of going and sharing and talking about it even if you hate it uh it's it's still fun to be able to see it and figure out why Larity and Aaron's men of no importance that John Doyle has reinvented at CSC. You know, these these are wonderful, these are wonderful, important productions of plays that may or may not suit you. It's irrelevant. The production of Raisin of the Sun at the Public with Tanya. Um, uh, yeah. Um, Tanya's worked with us. She she's brilliant. It's exciting to me to start reading about the plays that the new season has in store. I'm looking at some of the questions you had sent before we met, which is so thoughtful of you. Uh, what is my favorite theater memory? You know, these are such difficult answers questions to answer. Uh, the first play I ever saw was uh, Twelfth Night, and I was very young. and um, friends knew the director who had been brought over from England. This was outside Chicago, so I was able to sit and watch the rehearsals and I had no idea how it always put together and, and then to see this brilliant accessible play for a little child, much better than children's theater. Um, also, because of Hermione Gingold, I was able to hide myself in the wings and watch uh, the original production of A Little Night Music at least 20 times watching how it was maneuvered, how it worked, how how the performers changed their readings, depending on how the audience was. It was thrilling. You've asked what other shows have inspired me. All of them. All of them. Everything I see, everything I read, everything I hear, we're so bombarded with news and information and those of us living in New York City, bombarded by the noise, the sounds, the people, the The anger, the fear, the the pandemic, the politics. How do we deal with it? How do we process it? How much do we allow ourselves to take in? How much do we have to shut out just to get through the day? How do we soothe ourselves? And for me, I find comfort in art and collaboration. The idea of sharing the ways of telling a story with gifted people is so thrilling to me. In any form, I was very fortunate uh, to have a truly wonderful, brilliant partner for more than 20 years, Robert Osborne, who some people might remember as the host PCM. on PCM.
0: yes.
1: And so he, you know, one of our bonds was that I was truly a movie trivia about, and it helped, but his world was movies. So discovering that through his perspective was so exciting. Uh, It was so thrilling the night that I finally introduced Bob to Stephen Sondheim, who you may or may not know, was impassioned about movies. Uh, The only person on the planet who might have had more of a knowledge of movie trivia than Bob. The two of them sitting there and then corresponding, talking about movies, just movies. And the most obscure actors in the most obscure movies. It's so much fun for me to talk to my friends who are writers, novelists, historians, newscasters, dancers, composers. Everybody sees the world in their own unique way, as you do, as your listeners do. Everybody sees it differently. Everybody needs to hear it or see it differently. How does that affect us? How does that affect us who are making art, reinterpreting art, creating something?
0: What is your favorite part about working in the theater?
1: The collaborative element, I, I, without question. Uh, as a producer and a director, it's um, getting people together, being in a room with people, asking the questions, finding the answers, even if the answers change in an hour or tomorrow. Uh, and then the greatest character, the audience, bringing them into it. That to me is so gratifying, whether it all comes together or not, whether it all works or not, whether people like it or not. It's all irrelevant to me. It's the idea that we've given it a shot. We were questioning whether we should do the production this year. There's so many variables, so many ways to fail. And luckily, you know, as a nonprofit, uh, we have a board that we have to report to. They're the ones that run the company. And basically they said, look, if you go down, you go down in flames. Let's give it a shot. And we have. We've, we've told a beautiful story, I think beautifully, with wonderful artists. Uh, the set, almost everything on that set came from my apartment. And it's, it's all fun. going back on Sunday. <laughs> it's a joy not only to create it, but then also to talk with you, with people before or after the play, or weeks or months from now. It'll be fun when we stream Canada online and have those chats.
0: Now, you've, you've already kind of answered this, but I'm going to ask it again anyway. Um, what is your favorite theater memory? You had mentioned The Twelfth Night and Being in the Wings for a Little Night Music, but is there another one that you might want to share with us?
1: It's sort of like asking what is my favorite piece of music or my favorite color? It, it can change daily. But for me, um, the first thing that comes to mind was a living room theater, which was me as a teenager sitting in Hermione's sitting room and her legendary agent, Milton Goldman, was agent to all the golden age type people. Not, not so much the young people, although he'd done handled uh, Glenn Close and Meryl Streep. Sure. But uh, Hermione and I decided we would start doing Sunday afternoon readings. And since we love Shaw, we thought, well, we'll start with Pygmalion. And so Milton said he would send some of his clients over. So the doorbell rang and it rang and rang, and people kept coming. It was uh, Ruth Gordon Garson Kanin, Marion Seldes, Helen Hayes, Maureen Stapleton, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Anita Luce, Lillian Gish, Lawrence Olivier, Joan Plowright we were all hanging out, sitting on the floor, and everyone took turns reading the parts. And Laurence Olivier started with Higgins, and Joan Plowright started with Eliza, and the tea turned into cocktails, and they decided to switch parts. So she was reading Higgins, and he was reading Eliza. And it was such a formative, powerful experience for me to realize that there's no one way, there's no right or wrong, that everyone gets to tell their story their way. And that's the first thing that comes to mind when you ask the question.
0: That is incredible. Oh my
1: gosh. To yeah, be fun.
0: in that room. Oh, yeah.
1: that's
0: yeah, amazing. Great. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Are there any other productions or projects that your company has coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you?
1: Uh, yeah, um, Canada will be streamed online and people should join our mailing list. So you can see when we're doing the readings or workshops of our new plays, uh, we'll be announcing uh, our next full production for next year coming up soon. Make sure you're on our mailing list. We'll keep you informed. Wonderful.
0: And then building on that, if our listeners want more information about Canada or about the Gingold Theatrical Group, or even about Gingoldgroup.org. Perfect. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today. This has been a joy. I I could talk to you for hours. The the vast amount of knowledge that you have and the stories that you have. Oh, my gosh. We must get together. And I could just, I want to know everything. You are just a treasure trove. So thank you so much. Very kind
1: of you. Happy holidays to you and to everybody. And peace and love and hope. And keep the faith.
0: Yes. And to you. My guest today has been David Stoller, who is the director of Gingold Theatrical Group's production of Canada, currently playing at Theatre Row now through November 19th. You can get tickets and more information by visiting gingoldgroup.org or bfany.org slash Theatre Row. Make sure to see this production before it closes live. You'll be able to catch it streaming next year, but you'll want to see it live. It's well worth it. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod.
1: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at StageWhisperPod at gmail.com.
0: Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar, John Bartman, and Billy Murray.